Welcome, my name is Rachel Miller, and this is The Haunted Miss South Show, formerly known as The Haunted Midwest Show. On this podcast, we discuss the paranormal as well as the historical aspects of some of the most haunted places in the southern and midwestern regions. All right, so Sarah, let's talk about now your experiences at the Crescent. Well, I have been working there about three years. Uh, I also work in the day spa as a hairstylist uh, and then also give uh, ghost tours. So I not only get a lot of really uh, good stories on my tours and stuff, uh, but I get a lot of good stories from people down in the day spa and I have some of my own experiences from being down there as well. We sort of get used to the spirit activity at the hotel. Uh, in fact, I we were cleaning the salon. Uh, this was a couple weeks ago. Uh, we had some downtime and one of the glass cleaners had moved over on the counter and the girl jumped back and she said, did anybody else see that? And one girl said yes and four of us said no. And then we just went back to cleaning, you know, cause it was just like, okay, well, just another little spirit happening. <laughs> so <laughs> we, get, we get a lot of little things that happen or you're so sure you saw somebody with, but without a picture, it's so hard mm-hmm. to tell. Um, but one of my favorite stories was actually um, about Michael and he actually did follow me home from the hotel once. Uh, Michael is the Irish stonemason that helped build the hotel. He was about 17 when he passed away because uh, he was building the hotel. And at that time, they're doing it in a real crude way, right? Uh, and he's really highly distractible because he likes ladies. Uh, and so he sees a young lady walking through the garden. He waved at her. She waved back. He wants to impress her. He starts to do a jig up there or do some uh, antics. And he falls off and he hits his head on the beam that is now room 218. And that's what makes it Michael's room. Um, But he likes ladies and he will sometimes follow them around or he'll stroke their hair, give them a little tickle while they're staying in his room, uh, pull back the shower curtains and take a peek. You know, he's that kind of a guy. Uh, And I don't think he was trying to be too creepy, but one night I I give two tours a night and uh, they can be anywhere from a half an hour apart to an hour to an hour and a half on a bad night apart. And uh, I got down to Michael's room and I started to tell his story. We do it right in front of the rooms, you know. And as I started to talk, the woman came out of the room and she said, um, excuse me, if you don't mind, uh, we have some weird things going on here. And I said, oh, please tell me. And she said, well, as soon as you started to talk, my son's phone started going through every ringtone, playing a little bit of it. And it finally stopped on by the sea, which doesn't mean anything personally to me. But at, later on, people said it might have been because he was Irish. It's by the sea. It might have been the closest uh-huh. to that kind of thing. You know, I don't know. But the weirder thing was that it started a timer and it was a countdown for two hours. And then I really needed to know what happened after two hours. So I did everything short of giving him my actual phone number, (laughs) uh, the Facebook, the uh, email for the hotel, anything I could do to connect with this person. Uh, Two hours later, I didn't need to know because I was right there in front of Michael's room again. And as soon as I started to talk, uh, she popped her head out and she said, oh, it's you again. And I said, oh, yes. And she said, well, the timer, what just went off? And I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? She said, well, there was a flashlight that went on, the QR code scanner came on on his phone. And and does that mean anything to you? And I said, no. But one of Michael's favorite tricks is to make things disappear and reappear. People have it happen to them all the time in his room. And for the next week of my life, I thought I was losing my mind. Everything in my life would disappear and reappear right in front of my eyes, like uh, a pair of shoes that I had ripped apart my entire bedroom looking for would be right on top of the laundry basket. 
uh, sitting there very pretty, like they had just been put there for me. Uh, or I was paying bills, lost a pen on top of some papers, looked everywhere for it, tore up the whole table, finally went back to pay my bills. And there was that pen sitting right on top of the papers where I had left it. So, wow. uh, and finally I had to just go back to the hotel and ask him to kindly stay at the hotel <laughs> so I could get on with my life. And I have not had anything like that happen at my home. So he can oh. do that sometimes. Well, it's nice of them to, you know, at least uh, listen to you and go yeah, back. Yeah, no, I, I'm under the impression he listens real good. He just likes to test the boundaries, as a 17-year-old boy would do. Oh, that's Makes funny. Sense. Yeah. That's funny. Um, was that the most, was that probably <laughs> the most active thing that's ever happened? Or? That was probably the most active thing. Uh, I actually got a, a great picture of my own on the very first tour I ever took uh, of a ghost that looked quite modern. Uh, but in the picture, my daughter was in it, uh, and it was of a blown up mirror in the hotel. And that's where we get some of those spirit activities, you know, a reflective surface. Uh, and I was looking for a ghost. I mean, that's what I was doing. But what I saw was uh, my, what it looked like my husband telling her something real close in her ear. And I, I sort of showed the picture to him. The man had a ball cap on like my husband wears every day of his life. Uh, I showed the picture to my husband. I sort of laughed because she's like spirited, right? That means she's naughty in public. Uh, you know, she doesn't listen very good and she gets excited. Mm -hmm. So we often, you know, kind of tell her in her ear so we don't embarrass ourselves. I laughed and I said, what was she doing in this picture? And I kind of rolled my eyes. Uh, and he said, well, you know, first of all, that's not me. <laughs> I was oh. like, what? And this guy was close enough that you could see her hair was behind his cheek. Uh, and of course, we looked through the rest of our uh, pictures for this guy on the tour, you know, just another person in the crowd. Uh, but we could never find this guy. And he was very gray in the face. You couldn't see his eyes. He was very faded in the picture even, uh, but looked pretty real. But he was a very modern looking spirit. In fact, I, the picture after uh, the one I had taken of her with that guy in it, I had actually turned and taken another picture of my daughter just simply uh, her and the people in the group next to her and that guy is not in that picture so uh, it was kind of fun to get an actual picture but he didn't look like a ghost I mean that's the the reason it's so hard sometimes I think to uh, monitor our spirit activities because it just looked like a regular old guest standing there in the group and if I had not known that my daughter was by herself I wouldn't have caught that ghost so you just never know and it's interesting that you know he's he wasn't in you know period clothing that he was no, well, you know what? Not all of our spirits are, you know, Victorian. I, we tell the spirit stories that we tell because there are most retold, well-described spirits in the hotel. Right. But, you know, it doesn't always have to be tragedy to create spirit activity. It could be that your loved ones loved you too much to let you go or you had unfinished business. And that's why Miss Theodora kind of hangs around. They say she helps lost spirits get to the other side. Um, but, you know, it could just be something that was unforeseen, you know, something that came about abruptly, a heart attack, somebody passing uh, unexpectedly in the night. Uh, so it doesn't always have to be this really crazy story. Some people just pass there and they got kind of lost in between. That's all. Yeah, it's, it seems to be kind of a thing in, uh, in our, even in our culture that every ghost is Victorian. <laughs> right, I know. They're all from that one time. But well, we had a lot of, uh, you know, the Osage Nation was there. They were very mm -hmm. spiritual people. And mm -hmm. I imagine some of their customs and, and uh, people still hang around that area as well. You know, you just never know. Right. And it makes sense. It totally makes yeah. sense. Especially when you're telling me about all, how all the, you know, the energy is oh, yeah. there from, uh, from the limestone and everything. Right. Now, 
uh, can you tell me a little bit about the morgue that's downstairs? We did take a tour uh, of the morgue and that was that was interesting. I had fun <laughs> with that. The morgue is really a cool place. And I and that's just because I really also love history. And that was the original kitchen in the college days. So I always think of it being this bustling place where these you know women were making food for the college and the hotel. And I, I imagine little Brecky uh, coming in and getting a snack and stuff. But the morgue was later used for a much more nefarious purpose, which was uh, for Norman Baker to do his autopsies in. Uh, and he would take out uh, tumors, affected organs, all after they had passed. He didn't believe in surgery before they had passed on, you know, for cancer treatment, but he sure believed in it after they passed on. And he started collecting these, you know, kind of parts into jars. And then eventually uh, he kept them in that basement for a long time, but he had taken a picture of them and sent him out on a flyer uh, to everybody he knew. And that's actually what got him arrested eventually. He was uh, arrested for seven counts of mail fraud uh, in 1939, but he had already been at this business of this cancer curing for about uh, 10 years almost at that point. Uh, but he would take bodies that passed away uh, at the hotel down uh, into this morgue area, and that's where he did all those things. And including, this was probably the area where they were mixing the formula number five as well. Uh, you know, he oversaw every single batch of it. He wanted to uh, really uh, upkeep the illusion that this was really something that worked. And if it and if it wasn't co um, cooked up just right, that it would not be successful either. So, so the, uh, that was a pretty interesting place to be, and it is creepy. We get a lot of uh, people say that little shadows kind of move across the floor, or they see a very tall man walking around down there. Now, Norman Baker was not a tall man, uh, but I don't know if uh, Doctor Statler, his head doctor, might have been, or maybe it was just a uh, a helper that happened to spend a lot of time down there in the morgue. Now, I actually didn't know that it was a kitchen. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So that's interesting that it went one way, completely the other, <laughs> two different purposes. Right, right. Well, that's um, why the icebox was there, though. You know, it was not a coincidence that the he didn't put the icebox in. Okay. Uh, the kitchen used it at that time because that was the only way to keep meats and cheeses cool, keep things uh, better for longer. And he just used it for something different. He was still using it as an icebox. He was just keeping uh, bodies in the icebox. <laughs> And then, uh, just, and then having the mortuary take them away. So uh, he was definitely still using it similarly, but for different things. Now, what was, uh, can you tell me what was in the form, or what was it, what did you say it was number five? Yeah, formula number five. What was in it, was, it exactly? It was, uh, it was mostly ground up watermelon seed, uh, like some brown corn silk, red clover, uh, some water, uh, carbolic acid, some mint. Uh, and it was just really a concoction of nothing, uh, nothing helpful, nothing necessarily uh, hurtful. Uh, carbolic acid is, is not good for you, but it certainly wouldn't kill you. Um, but it gave that impression when they got the injection that it was actually actively working. So, uh, but there was really nothing in it that was doing any anybody any good. Right. Right, it was just, it was the illusion that it was right. doing something. And he was doing these injections up to seven times a day to make them feel important. Uh, and people, when they passed, there was probably about 40 people that passed away at the hotel while he was at the Crescent. Now, again, he had been doing this for probably, uh, you know, at this point, seven or eight years up to this point. So who knows how many uh, people that actually did pass away in his care. Uh, but they know that the local mortuary fessed up to the 40 bodies. And there was almost 500 jars of parts that they had found uh, uncovered uh, in a in a basically a hole in our backyard. <laughs> a few years back, February 2019. So actually to find the jars and parts that he had uh, disposed of 
and and they're currently being tested at University of Arkansas. Of course, uh, we're at the bottom of the priority list. It says there's no case pending, you know, right. uh, but. Eventually, we hope to have uh, real evidence. We know it's organic material in there, and that it's alcohol and not formaldehyde, so it wasn't really meant for medical use. It was it was really a collection or display right. or something, which even is even a little creepier if I'm honest. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think when we were in the morgue, I think did he say he he thought that he could convince people if he removed the tumors? Like, see, see, yeah, exactly. The like they would just fall out of their body, you know, from drinking this or using this formula number five. Very similar to probably the way the healing waters were supposed to right. work. But of course, uh, we know by this time he's really just using this as a uh, snake oil. So. And now Norman Baker actually fled, right? If I he remember did, correctly. He got arrested in Eureka. Uh, oh, he, okay. fled, he fled Muscatine. That was his first cancer hospital was in Muscatine. He had been shot up uh, and there was some controversy around that, uh, but his hospital had been shot up and he had been arrested for impersonating a medical professional, which is exactly what we you know, think he should have been arrested for. But at that time, it, the punishment was only one day in jail and a thousand dollars worth of fines. So he paid his fines and then he ran down to Nuevo Laredo, Mexico to, to avoid doing the one day in jail which eventually he went back up and did because <laughs> he wanted to come back to town. Uh, but at that point, he started a smaller hospital in, in Mexico and another radio station, which actually was one of the biggest radio stations in uh, at that time. It covered all the way from Mexico to Alaska, and he was kind of a household name at that time. Then he was invited uh, to Eureka Springs because they saw the money that he was making. He was one of the few people in the Great Depression times that was making a ton of money. And uh, so they invited him here. But of course, you know, he did some nefarious things and then they were ready for him to go. So that's when they started watching his mail very closely and uh, got these mail frauds. So uh, used as kind of an Al Capone thing instead of uh, the, the other punishment wasn't enough. So they just made something else up. So had to lay multiple things on him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It still only got him up, you know, just under uh, four years in Leavenworth prison, but it was a federal offense. And so they were able to at least pr- imprison him for a short period of time. And the momentum stopped at that point, you know, then his his career, his notoriety, everything that everybody was talking about went, you know, to being nothing at that point. So that was really his punishment. He wanted the notoriety, the fame. Yeah, and that's the best punishment is having it all taken away from you. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I believe so. Now. I- until we started telling his story in the early 2000s, nobody had talked about him for a very long time. So. Well, I I, uh, I noticed that. I, so just to kind of, you know, get a little bit more, um, just to kind of, you know, get myself back into the mindset of you know, how I was at the Crescent, I was watching the old Ghost, uh, um, Ghost Hunters. And oh, yeah. back, I think, season two, they went there back in like 2008 or something like that. And I noticed in the episode, though, uh, Norman Baker hadn't been mentioned at all. It was Dr. Ellis, I believe, yep. is who they were mm-hmm. talking about. And he so. was a real doctor from the beginning of the hotel. Uh, he was there for sure. Uh, but like I said, there's been a lot of research, a lot of uh, things being noted. In fact, I had a guest uh, on one of my tours uh, in the last probably year, two different times. I had one that was um, a granddaughter of Dr. Statler which was Norman Baker's head doctor. Now, after the tour, she came up to me and she said, has anybody been arrested? Was anybody arrested with Norman Baker? And I said, oh yeah, there was about, you know, seven of his employees that were arrested with him. 
And she said, my, my grandfather was Dr. Statler. She said, but in our family, we never talked about um, why he got arrested. It was just that he had been arrested. We knew that he was a doctor and that, and that was all. And she goes, until oh, wow. I took your tour, I didn't know that much about it. <laughs> so it wasn't something that was really talked about. And I had another guest um, and she said, now she was an older lady, but she said she, her mom used to talk about visiting her grandma at the cancer hospital in Eureka Springs. Oh, wow. And again, had never even thought anything of it till coming to the hotel and hearing the story of the cancer hospital there. That's so cool. I love hearing stories like that of like connecting people to the past right. like that. Like, yeah, no, this is real. Um, my, you know, yeah. my family was there. Right, that I literally have a connection to that. And again, that nobody talked about it. It was very taboo. It wasn't something anybody you know, wanted to talk about. Right. And there wasn't a lot of like class action lawsuits. It wasn't on, you know, TV or the radio. It wasn't big enough for all of that. Uh, but it definitely had happened, you know, locally he was known about, but not necessarily nationally. That's, yeah, I, I love hearing about like, just like you said, back then, you know, it, was, it wasn't as much media, there wasn't social media, you know, there wasn't, right. I'm sure nowadays it'd be hashtags, you know, stop Norman Baker. Oh, right, right. <laughs> if it was yeah, today. Notorious for a whole nother reason. And he was in some ways, but just not, a, not as much as you would think. Not like most of pop culture that was happening back then, so. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people believed, you know, that he was, that he was helping them. Oh, um, sure. Well, you know, he looked successful. A lot of people came into his cancer hospital without cancer. Uh, they'd say they had a stomach ache. One of his, uh, now he only had one re real doctor, but imagine he's running three hospitals with one real doctor. Mm. So he had a lot of these guys that had an eclectic medical degree. They weren't real doctors. They had a two year program kind of thing going on. And they would say, oh, your stomach hurts. And they'd press all around them and they'd say, oh, it must be the cancer and write you up for a treatment. Uh, they'd see them for six weeks and they'd send them off totally healed of their cancer, except mm. for they hadn't had cancer. So it looked like a success story. Uh, so obviously that's how most of it, it even looked uh, real. Uh, but on the other side of that, when people really did come with cancer and uh, they got to the point where they were really sick, sometimes it just wasn't enough time to send them home, quote unquote, healed, because he often would do that as well. It's just, uh, they looked pretty bad. He'd say, wow, you look great. I think your cancer is gone. Time for you to go home. <laughs> so he didn't really oh want goodness. them to pass away there. Uh, but when they did, he took advantage of that as well, collecting their parts and then being able to uh, use that for his next advertisement. So, And I'm sure he had some excuse like, oh, they came too late, you know. That's exactly. Why well, no, a lot of times, too, it was mental. They're mental therapeutics. They weren't doing the mental therapeutics right. So mm. it wasn't that his formula number five wasn't working, but the other half of it is the patient themselves. So and of course, people were like, yeah, I guess not. So. <laughs> Now I do, I'm remembering the first time, the first uh, night we stayed there in back in August, I do remember one thing. And we, so we were on the third floor mm -hmm. and we had heard squeaking of wheels and we were later told that that sounds like a Gertie that was being pushed because I think if my memory serves me correctly, wasn't there, I don't know if there was a, a way to the morgue in that way or was there, is, were they, there were they pushed? right next door to your guys's room most likely uh oh was probably the pain asylum which is 3500 it's in our annex um but that is where he kept the patients that were very sick mm -hmm. he didn't want them to be seen because this was a place where people were getting well in fact he would often pay people to sit in the lobby to look healthy you know so when people got really sick that he'd put them back in this area where it was uh soundproof 
uh, metal reinforced door that kept the hallway shut <laughs> and nobody else knew what was going on back there and when they would die they had to move the bodies in the middle of the night and, and a lot of people uh, hear those squeaking wheels uh, a woman uh, they have seen her in her uh, nurse's uniform pushing a gurney down that hallway with a body on it uh, draped with a sheet you know covered with a sheet uh, I even had a guest not that long ago that said that in the middle of the night they had heard somebody say you'll wake the patients and so oh, wow. you just never kind of know what's going on right there. And uh, and uh, Zach Baggins uh, did have some reactions in that room. And I'm not that spirit sensitive, but I often get a stomach ache and I have a hard time being in that back area. There was just a lot of sadness and a lot of pain going on. He didn't offer pain medication to his patients. Mm. Uh, so imagine there's a lot of emotion um, being recorded in that room. So it is really a tough room to be in for some people. Yeah, I remember watching that episode actually, not that after we got back and mm -hmm. um, we, we didn't stay in that room. We stayed in one that was like close to the front, like right by the window um, right, down the hallway. But I know what you're talking about because it's like straight ahead. It's like a, has like a, it's a bigger room, right? It has like a jacuzzi yeah. in it. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I remember exactly. <laughs> and I remember I was worried the first time we went though, I, or no, excuse me, the second time we went, I was like, cause I'm sensitive to things just in uh, general. Gotcha. And I was like, I really don't uh, want to get sick. So when she yes. when said third floor is like, Ugh. and people do, they will get a little, you know, sometimes they didn't even know they were that spirit sensitive until they're mm -hmm. in the hotel. And they kept having these little bouts of dizziness or uh, nausea and things like that. And, you know, sometimes they're dehydrated, but sometimes they just didn't know how spirit sensitive they were. Right. They hadn't been in a real haunted place, you know, like this. So, And I feel like you don't even have to be that sensitive not to pick up on something there. Well, just that's because. what I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm a little maybe empathetic or I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sensitive that way, but I'm certainly not necessarily uh, uh, clairvoyant of any sort, but... I do have a lot of feelings and experiences and see things that I had never been privy to in my life, just being uh, in the hotel so much. Now, I will say there was one point in the governor's suite, we did get a little, we all three got a little emotional. And uh, it was yes. when we had the um, ovulus was going off. And I think okay. we were talking to um, a woman. And okay. this was after we went to the front and everything. And we were talking to her and we think it was a woman just not just yeah, sure. I, it was just a feeling i can't describe yeah. it it was just and we all three felt it we were all like yeah i think it's i think it's a woman and it was i i think she took interest in my friend because she said something like um they, i think the ovulus said thank you at one point i don't remember everything it said but what stuck sure. out with me is it said hug and then goodbye Oh. And then we didn't feel anything. The room was just silent. The EMS were dead. I mean, it was just quiet. This could be. Wow. So I don't know if maybe it was the lady in the mid. I don't know who it was. Well, but I would say, if it, my best guess uh, was that it was uh, Brecky's mom, uh, Mary okay. Breckenridge. So, which actually we don't talk about her being a spirit there, but it was a few months back. We had a medium that was in the hotel. Now she had not taken the tour, um, but you know, as we give tours over the course of the night, we have one uh, gal that's usually in charge, in char one guy or gal that's in charge of taking our tickets. At this point, it happened to be my manager, my supervisor, um, and she stopped by and she asked my uh, Deborah if she could ask her a few questions. 
And she said that one of the things that she had seen in the hotel was a woman standing on the second story. But remember, this is where Mary Breckenridge and and Brecky would have lived was in that room that you're talking about. Uh, But Mary Breckenridge has also been seen, she said, um, standing at the top of the second uh, floor of the stairs with her hands on her hips looking out over uh, the hotel. Uh, But at that time, it would have been the college. Now, she was in charge of teaching health and nutrition. Uh, Her husband was the dean of the college, so she took a lot of responsibility there. But she also lost one child in childbirth uh, there at the hotel and also brecky to complications of appendicitis just after he turned four years old. So you have to remember that that all happened probably in that room. She was very connected to her children and even had a seance at one point to make sure that they were going to be okay until they could come together again. But that doesn't mean they all moved on together. Maybe they just all came together in the hotel. And so we, I often think about her being there. Uh, and actually we had showed that medium uh, different pictures. Uh, my my uh, manager or my supervisor had uh, made sure that maybe she could pick her out. And she certainly did pick her out in a photograph. So. Uh, it was kind of cool to know that she's kind of hanging around as well. But if I, it was my guess, I would say you'd have an experiment, experience with uh, Mary Breckenridge. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I'm speculating here, obviously. But, oh, me too. I mean, <laughs> but um, that makes sense to me, at least, and to my friends, because um, he that's when he started getting upset. Like, he, this was too much for him. And mm-hmm. he was starting to just, you know, but he was very, after he started to realize this is real, I'm, I'm literally sensing this. Um, he was we uh, talking and we were just we were just sitting on the bed talking and had the EMF reader, the recorder out and everything. And he's just like, I just want you to know I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm scared right now. But, you know, you guys have opened my eyes and um, I'm, I'm really scared, but I, I'm not going to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. You know, he was just trying to be really calm. And then that's when we got hug and then goodbye. And Aww. he said he felt a warmth over him. That sounds like her. And then, she, and then, just as quickly as the EMF and or this obvious EMF went off, it just nothing for like right. forty-five minutes or so. It was just dead. That's really a cool experience, though, because I feel like I definitely could see her doing that. I definitely could. I definitely have had people um, on my tours that have walked into the morgue and started to cry, and and through their tears, they're telling me, "I'm not an emotional person. <laughs> I usually never cry." And I'm like, "Well, you know, again, there's a lot of sadness that happens in these places, and and sometimes somebody who's um, there's different kinds of clairvoyance. You know, there's some people that can hear." There's some people that can Mm -hmm. see, and there's some people that can just simply be empathetic to those spirits. And unfortunately, what happens to them is they feel those feelings that the spirits feel and it overcomes them. Uh, And I'm very glad I don't have that sensitivity, but I do have some friends that do. And it can be very difficult for them to be in certain areas of the hotel because they just get overwhelmed with that emotion. And see, that's what's interesting is I'm kind of like that, but not always. Like there'll be times we've gone to haunted places. I just won't feel anything. It's just whatever, you know? And then there have been places that like, we had a friend that they want to come and investigate their house. And long story short, I got there and I just started crying and felt really sad and just like something was wrong. I felt Mm -hmm. really lonely, even though my fiance and my friends were right there. But with the Crescent, there have been times I felt that way, but at the same time, I think and I think this is why Crescent's so interesting to me. One of the reasons is it is the first place I've stayed that's haunted that I didn't feel uh, terrified and scared the entire, like I, I missed it as soon as I left. It was right. a very, oh. and, my, and my fiance felt the same way. We missed yeah. it. It was like, you know, most people are like, oh, I want to get out of here. It's haunted. But it's like, 
it felt like, I don't know, I knew there were people around me, but it didn't scare me. I don't know how to explain it. It didn't scare me. It didn't. That is exactly how everybody feels at the Crescent. And that's why people come back year after year. Or for myself, I went there for a visit and now I live here. I work in the hotel. And, that's uh, awesome. I have a little bit of an obsession, but uh, but it's because you 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 do feel that those people around, but you don't feel threatened. I think for the most part, the Crescent Hotel was a jovial place, you know, a place where people went and had wonderful family vacations and um, and spent luxurious times there. And so, I think that mostly it's people that that want spirits that want to connect. They just want to know that they're, you're, they're there. Uh, they want to maybe share a little piece of their life or their history, but they certainly aren't these. Um, you know, there's no demon spirits. I don't feel like there isn't a lot of dangerous things that happen. Most people's stories they tell are kind of silly or they're funny or they're, you know, they were a little scared at the time, but now thinking back, they weren't that scared, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just love, and I hate to scare people too much because it's my favorite hotel and I want people to want to come back just like our spirit friends do. And even when we have our ESP weekends, which is our Eureka Springs paranormal weekends in the winter time, you can almost feel the spirits getting ready for that weekend. They're excited because they're gonna get to connect with people. And when the hotel has been real slow like that for a while, I think they do miss the people as well. Just like the people miss having a little haunting going on around them. Well, and I think that actually sums up my feelings about the crescent i mean i mean again we're excited we're planning another trip this year we hope to oh, yeah. maybe get in around halloween time i bet you guys are just absolutely packed during that we time are. though but <laughs> book it now because it gets really busy that time but an amazing time of year to be there and the energy is always really good and you know people are there to have fun and experience a little spirit stuff so it's a good time to be there too well sarah thank you again for joining me um today oh my pleasure and love talking about the Crescent. Um, I was so excited when I got the go for this interview because I was like, yes, my favorite haunted location. I get to talk about it. Uh, um, yeah. If you guys at home, if you guys want to have an experience but don't want to be you know, traumatized for life, I definitely recommend the Crescent Hotel to stay at. Um, like she, like Sarah and I are saying, it's 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 definitely own, uh, owns its name for the most haunted hotel in America, but you're not going to leave, you know, in tears you're gonna leave <laughs> i think you're gonna leave with an open mind but have a fun experience right very good thanks for tuning in to the haunted miss south show make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch new episodes when they drop the haunted miss south show now has a patreon if you like this show and want to support us consider becoming a patreon at www dot patreon dot com slash haunted mid south